You're listening to The Gateway Church. For more information, please go online to thegatewaychurch.com. Kyle. I am uh, one of the elders here, and I would just invite you, if you are able, we're, we're actually going to um, be reading a little bit of a longer teaching text this morning. Um, so if you're feeling weak in the knees this morning, you can uh, keep your seat. But if you're, if you're able, would you um, rise and stand with me as a way just to, nothing symbolic here or anything, just to revere God with our bodies um, as we read from his word. Our teaching text is Philemon, and uh, if you're new to the Bible and you're like, oh my gosh, you're going to read a whole letter, don't worry, it's just one page. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier in the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. It's kind of a funny thing. For I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Um, You can have a seat. Um, So this is this is our teaching text, Um, and um, we're we're not just going to go line through line. We would be here for like a day, Um, but 
What, what I want to do before we actually get into the text here is I'm just going to pray, uh, and then we're going we're gonna to get our way in. How's that sound? Good. Remember, I, you can talk back to me. It's way less awkward if we do a little dialogue here. So I'm, I'm going to pray. How's that sound? Good. Excellent. Okay. Um, Father, we, the words that keep coming over and over in my mind is that um, these things that we're going to go through are just an empty shell if you don't spill your presence into them. I have really no interest in just playing church. Um, I don't want to just go through a routine. I want to like encounter you this morning, and I think um, that, that your church here wants the same. So would you come, Holy Spirit, through the power of your word, would you wake us up? Um, would you wake us up? Would you fill us? So here in this uh, often forgotten letter in the New Testament are these explosive words, and they may not really feel that way to you this morning. Perhaps you're new to the scriptures, and you, uh, like I said earlier, you don't even know that, that there's a book, a whole letter called Philemon. Uh, and, and if that's you, fret not, um, because we're going to be actually in this for the next three weeks. And very rarely do we get to read a whole letter and then allow that letter week after week, day after day, to kind of saturate our minds and our hearts. And so uh, this Philemon is, is, a, is a great letter. And I'm, and I'm hopeful that God actually, like, he draws us deeper into himself. But Philemon is, is really just a precursor for Advent. This is to, to prime the pump, so to speak. But if we're willing, I think that these often unnoticed and really obscure words, I think that they're poised to kind of crack open the doors of our hearts this morning so we might actually meet the Jesus to whom they point. And most of what we're going to do today, it's going to be uh, kind of this meta thing. So this 30,000 feet framing things out, then we'll dip down a little bit to kind of get into the, some of the details to continue to, to frame out what's going on here, how finally been maps on to our world, and then more specifically, our circumstances. And so to that end, to kind of ease us in, um, I'm just going to read some other words, some more familiar words. Uh, and I, what I want you to do while I'm reading these words, I want you just to notice uh, what's happening in your heart, maybe what's welling up inside of you. So here are the words. Racism, elitism, love, marginalization, wealth, white nationalism, privilege, poor, faith, power. Let me just read those one more time in case you weren't sure what was happening in your heart. Racism, elitism, love, marginalization, wealth, nationalism, privilege, poor, faith, power. Um, so if, if you're anything like me, it's not just like one of those words that stirred something up. It's kind of the whole collection of them. And it's a little, it's an odd collection because love and faith are kind of sandwiched amongst these words that they probably shouldn't be there. Uh, I'm really still not sure how to categorize this thing. Like I've been, I've been writing this sermon, right? I've been thinking about this through the whole week and yet I'm still not quite sure is this, do, do I feel curious? Am I cautious? Am I nervous? Am I a little angsty around this collection of words? See, whatever the something is that's rising up, I'm sure that it's different for me than it is for you. 
See, perhaps if you're a person of color here this morning or if you're a woman, you hear power and you hear marginalization and all of a sudden your ears perk up. Or maybe as like a bunch of good Iowans with like caucusing three months out, you're just like numb. You're inoculated to any buzzwords. So the moment you start hearing about uh, the disparities in um, like wealth or you start hearing about race or gender or anything like that, you just like uh, put the noise canceling on and this is just like the world you live in. Or maybe um, there's some of you this morning who cannot believe that that racism was said in church. I might as well have just dropped an F-bomb. And, and it's like, like, you're not frustrated with the word, you're frustrated that I said the word here because how, like, this, is, this is holy space. My point is, um, this odd mix of words where love and faith are, are kind of like found in this unexpected place, uh, this is in short what's happening in Philemon. See, Paul's words to Philemon, they, they contain this disruptive power. And here's what I mean. Just a moment ago, I asked you to pay attention to how you felt when those words were read. So do you have that in your mind right now? Yes? Okay, maybe? I have it in my mind. So if you don't, I have it. Um, so I have, have this, pick, pick that up again. And normally what I'd ask us to do, because we're going to be working on dialoguing with each other here over the next few years, is I would say, hey, just like shout that out. But this morning, we're going to press pause on that kind of interaction. Um, just, just yeah, keep it to yourself. Uh, rather, what I, I want us to do is it's going to be a little bit different. And this may feel like, woo, but um, just go here with me. Maybe there's not enough equity of trust. If this is your first time here, this may be your last time. Sorry. Um, so whatever stood out to you in your mind, I want you to picture it like a rock. Just stay with me. I want you to picture it like a rock, and this rock is on a shelf. Can you see it? Use your imaginations. You have beautiful imaginations. Rock on the shelf. Now, I want you to pick it up. If it helps you, you can use hand motions. Everybody in the room is doing it, or I'm doing it. Here, okay, so I have my rock. So, like, feel it. Like, if you use both hands. Um, is it heavy? Maybe toss it in the air a couple times. Okay. Um, notice, like, what are... What are the, like the contours of it as you feel it? Um, are, are there flecks of color in it that are surprising to you? What, so, so do you have it in your hands? Okay, now I want you to just hold it there for a few moments longer and then consider this. See, wherever we find ourselves this morning amidst these words, amidst these realities that are like bigger than ourselves, whether we're nervous or we're cautious or we're, we're, we're down like, like we're frustrated by these things, as followers of Jesus, marked by the way of Jesus, we simply cannot turn a blind eye to these things, especially when they're close at hand. You see, how we respond to these types of things, these realities as followers of Jesus is of the utmost significance. This is kind of the trajectory of Philemon. Amen. And, and what, what I mean is how, how we actually engage, how we respond to, to be it like racially driven violence or the, or the growing gap between the haves and the have-nots or any other systemic injustice. How we respond to that is slowly but surely going to display, it's going to tell this story of who and whose we are. 
In other words, our response to these realities is part of our story. And there's this uh, cinematographer. She's a professor, rather famous gal. I like saying her name. It's Bobette Buster. Um, so, so Bobette, she says this. Narrative is our culture's currency, and he who tells the best story wins. And what Bobette is touching on, gosh, I love her name. What Bobette is touching on is that what we say and what we do from these like tiny micro decisions to these monumental movements in our lives, all of these things, they begin to slowly shape and tell part of our story. And I think that that's true. And let me just show you why I think that this is true. So how many of you saw this floating around on the interwebs this week? Kind of a granular picture. It looks nicer on my page here. So this is Paula White. And, and regardless of what you think about Paula White or what you think about President Trump, um, maybe your rock just got a little bit heavier. Um, so Paula White, she leads this, she's a televangelist in Florida, and she leads this prosperity-driven movement. And this week, this clip has been circulating with, with some segments of her teachings um, and her like talking about her engagement on White House grounds, etc. Um, and just to, as like an aside, um, the, the things that Paula White is saying, like I don't know Paula White from, like I don't know her super well. The things that I've heard do not seem to map onto the life and ministry of Jesus. Um, but that's a whole other sermon for another time. So um, let's just stay right here. But I, I just, I had to touch that. I didn't want to chase the rabbit, but I, I kind of did a little. So here's my point. This is what I gave myself this week. I gave myself five minutes to just look at the responses to this image. Or it's actually to this clip. And here were a, a couple of standouts. So this one got a chuckle from me. I don't think even Joan Rivers could have made this any funnier. Oh God, it's real. And then most of them were kind of like this next one, rather incendiary. Uh, another fake Christian, con artist, corrupt, immoral hate monger, who, like other evangelicals, misinterprets scripture to line their pockets. The tweet goes on, but I can't say it. Um, the words are unholy. See, the bulk of, of the responses that I saw, they kind of fluctuated between these two things. I imagine that if people like love Paula and, and uh, are probably not going to be tweeting, so I, I think that's just the atmosphere of Twitter. But what I saw there was this, this pendulum, this, this spectrum from outrage on one category. It would be like the response that I just read, or, or somebody else, they would just vent their vitriol. They would like disown and tear down anybody who like slightly resembled Paula or her theology or her politics. They would just dismiss them altogether as stupid, mundane, archaic, whatever. So, so this would be the outrage. And then on the other side, I would see the second category. It would be this category of passivity. And passivity can certainly be not responding at all. That's that's for sure an option. Uh, but I'm thinking more along the lines of this. And this was an actual, uh, an actual tweet that I saw. It said this, I've deleted so many almost tweets today. Lord have mercy, hashtag Paula White. So that tweet, I didn't really know how to place it. Is, the, is this person saying, Paula, I see you. I'm not outraged, but I'm certainly not passive. And as I was, I don't know, kind of mulling it over, trying to make sense of this, um, in my estimation, both of these categories, whether it's passivity or it's outrage, they're both playing into our culture's game. They're trying to tell the, the best story or what Babette was saying, they're trying to win. But win at what? 
And I didn't, I didn't really know where to go from here, so I, I turned to a person much smarter than me, Ronald Richardson, in his book, Polarization and the Healthier Church. He says this, and it's a rather lengthy quote, but I think it's helpful to unpack what's going on here. It's normal for human communities to hold a range of opinions along a continuum, along a continuum on, on nearly any topic. Normally, people in groups do not think the same at all. Now, we're not learning anything new here, but he goes on. Life would be dull if that were the case. In polarization, as in any electrified atmosphere of opposing forces, people begin to regard those who do not think the way they do as the enemy. As the intensity of feelings increases, they seek to defeat and even humiliate or to destroy one another. This is basically Twitter any given day of the week. Respect for others is lost. The ethic of love gives way to the ethic of hate. See, the reason that we are setting ourselves in front of Paul's words to Philemon for the next few weeks is because in our cultural moment, the moment that we find ourselves, all sorts of stories are swirling around and we are caught up. It's ambient. It's just in the air, this outrage, this passivity. There's, there's one commentator who even estimates that the number of advertisements, these stories that are, we're being bombarded with, like whether you're on Dart, there's like advertisements on the, like in front of you on the seats. Um, this commentator estimates that we will see in one year more advertisements than somebody saw in their whole lifetime 50 years ago. So let that sink in. So in, the, in the midst of this, Paul's words come. And I think what they're doing is, is they disrupt our passivity and our outrage because Paul's words, they're a product of a counter narrative. They're telling not a story to gain cultural capital. They're telling a story to dismantle that reality, to help us step into a new one. They're not here. Like Paul's not saying, hey, here's the Jesus advantage. Here's how you, in the name of Jesus, move forward into your culture. No, Paul is after an entirely different paradigm because he sees that we need another way forward. And in his letter to Philemon, this is what he calls it. He calls it love and faith. Just look down at verse four. Check this out. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. This is the story. This is the story that's, that's being told of Philemon's life. This, this is a story that sings the loudest. This is the gossip that's going on behind Philemon's back. This is the type of thing that I think we like desperately desire to have said about us, that we are people of love and of faith. And this is what Paul says of Philemon, that his, mar his life is marked by these two realities. And so what we're gonna call this little... Um, this little duality of love and faith is, for the next few weeks, is faithful presence. This is the third way. See, what we say and what we do from the micro decisions to these monumental macro moments, even things as small as like a tweet, they tell part of our story. And I'm not I'm not really interested, Gateway, in like getting you to be less passive or getting you to be less outraged. There are things in our world, even in our own hearts, that we ought to be outraged about. The trafficking of humans for sexual pleasure is something to be outraged about. 
These are realities that are in the world. Racism is something to be outraged about. So I'm not saying like, hey, uh, dismiss, don't, don't be outraged. Just, just like be okay. There's, there's just gotta be another way where we recognize that the people with whom we're engaging with are actually bearing the image of God. Like Phil was on about in our confession that we would actually live into the fullness of the image of God. That is faithful presence. This is the third way. And Paul is, is inviting us into this. And so what I wanna do is, is for the next few weeks, I just want us to stand with Paul. Let him like mess with us, mess with our minds, mess with our hearts, mess with our hands, because there's a potential here for us to be marked out as a people of faithful presence. To be a people who like Paul, he's not like polarized and, and like swayed way far left or way far right by any politics of the day. Because what Paul is doing is when the culture zigs, he zags. And Philemon is, is our window into this reality, into this new world of possibilities. And I, this is our way forward. It, it's not one of outrage or passivity. It's this third way. It's the disruptive power of faithful presence. It's one where we actually start to give up our interest, our need, our desire to win at the expense of others. And then we, we look to the way and the words of Jesus and we start to just try and imagine. It, start, it starts, starts in our imaginations. Try, imagine what would it be like to live into this? And then slowly it starts to creep down into our hearts and into our hands and we start to actually live into the way of Jesus. In other words, to be a faithful presence in a culture of outrage and passivity is to embody the way of Jesus. But um, this is really hard. I don't know if any of you have had a hard time following Jesus. Yes, uh, I have. Just this weekend, um, in case you didn't know, just, like my family, we just moved here. So this is like my first official week here in Des Moines. Um, and as it happens when you move, there are boxes over here, and then you're unpacking them, and you're trying to figure out where the stuff goes. Or your, you know, stuff is just about and you're about with the stuff, trying to make sense of it, trying to order the chaos. And just this weekend, as I'm like about to preach on faithful presence and basically being unoffendable, Jess and I are standing in the kitchen, and I'm at the sink, at the, the rightful place of the husband. Uh, and, and there I am at the sink, and I, there's a, a rag, and the rag is getting a little bit dingy. I give it a sniff. And so I just go, well, uh, what do we do with this? Like, where does this go? And Jessica turns around. And she says, what we've always done with that. And in that moment, I had no interest um, in, in having that conversation go that way. Um, what do you think we do with it? It's followed up with. I didn't want to be quizzed. And like out of the depths of like, maybe it was like my ankle, somewhere deep down inside of me, this like thing comes out and I'm like, I don't, I, just tell me where it goes. Just tell me where it goes. I'm like, she's like, what, where have we always put it? <laughs> just tell me. So then, um, so yeah, forgiveness was sought later. Um, she extended, it was very gracious. My, my point here is like, 
I can stand up here and I can, t- like, I, I don't, like, don't make the mistake that just because I'm up here preaching that I'm actually, like, figured this stuff out. Uh, like, I need you all to point me back to the way of Jesus. I need Jessica to point me back to the way of Jesus because this thing is hard because in a moment with my best friend, this like reflex of outrage just came out within me. And yet I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. Whether it's with your roommate, your best friend, your kids, coworkers at work, like you used my mug. That was, that was my, like, right? The, simple, the simplest of things, often with the people who are closest to us, it reveals that these relationships are hard, that we need a new way forward. That's why we need Philemon. More so, that's why we need the, the way of Jesus on display here in Philemon. And to help us envision what this might actually look like, something to sink our teeth into because love and faith can be so easily drowned out with all the noise of passivity and the noise of outrage. And just to be clear, this is not noise that's just out there. Oh, it's just the people on Twitter. This is like in our own hearts. That we are shouting down love and faith with outrage. So do you still have that rock in your hand? Yeah, buddy. So this is our response to that unexpected collection of words where love and faith are sandwiched in there. Um, If you've set your rock down because it was kind of heavy, pick it back up just one more time for me. Just, I know, woo, but just go here. Um, Feel its weight. Like just, if you need to, just give it a toss one more time in your hand. And now, as a way of saying, God, I'm going to suspend judgment here and now of myself, of those outside of me, of you. And I'm, I'm, as a way of saying that, just gently place your rock back up on the shelf. And now, with your rock there, let's hear Paul's words to Philemon afresh, just starting in the greeting. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you've spent any time around the scriptures, or maybe you were just walking around on a college campus or just on the streets and there was somebody on a corner handing out tracts or little New Testaments, little Gideon Bibles, and you, you got one and you started thumbing through it, uh, you likely read some of Paul's words. And it's, it's pretty common for Paul to kind of do this greeting. He, he basically has this framework in mind of how he's going to introduce himself. And this is how Paul starts his letter. But we have to remember when we start to step in with our rock over here, we have to recall that what is common for Paul is foreign to us. And so for Paul, he has in his mind this this framework, this formula. You see, for Paul, he's not just going to like slide Philemon a DM on Insta, which is he's not going to send Philemon a direct message on Instagram, or he's not going to text Philemon. He's he's not going to like carrier pigeon Philemon. What what Paul is going to do is he's going to get together with his fellow coworkers, with with Timothy, with Demas, with Archippus, with all these folks, and they're going to say, 
Because well, remember, Paul's in, he's, in, he's a prisoner, so he's chained up. He's, he's legit got a Roman soldier chained to him. So what Paul's going to do is he's going to get his posse, and they're going to write this letter to Philemon. And just like in your workplace where you have like a framework for memos and stuff like that, um, Paul too, he has a framework for how to communicate. So he wants to send this letter of request to Philemon and how it's gonna flow is like this. There's gonna be this greeting. And then what's gonna come after that is there's gonna be this prayer because Paul in his day, he does not live in a disenchanted time like we do. For Paul in his day, it was a time where you, you pray. Now, you don't just pray to the God of Israel, the God that Jesus calls Father. You pray to whatever God you need or want for that occasion. But there would be a greeting and then there would be prayer. You would move from the prayer into the body of the letter and then from the body of the letter, you'd move into the final greetings. And this letter of Philemon, it actually does this thing. It follows this framework. But then Paul, in the midst of following this framework, just like anybody in his day would expect, he begins to kind of flip the script on the, on the cultural like story and he does something a little bit different. Because, because he doesn't appeal to Philemon in this letter as somebody who has authority. He lowers himself down and ch- check this out. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna read uh, these, all of the introductions to Paul's, you're like, oh no, he's gonna read more Bible. Yes, uh, I'm just, just bear with me. This is all the introductions of Paul's letters. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna like breeze through them and notice um, what is subversive about Philemon. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul, an apostle. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Uh, one and two Thessalonians, Paul, Paul, and then we go on. Paul and Apostle of Christ Jesus, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, Paul, a servant of God, Philemon, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Do you see it? What is it? Some of your chests just got so tight, I didn't know I was going to get quizzed in church. This is what I felt, Jess, in that moment. I didn't. Um, <laughs> Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. So I'm going to have to ask for forgiveness for that later. Sorry about that, babe. Um, So of the 13 letters in the New Testament that Paul is behind, that he writes, only once does he introduce himself as a prisoner. And for us, this might not leap off the page, but what's there is just as significant as what's not there. You'll notice that seven times Paul introduces himself as an apostle. And for us, this might just be like a weird churchy word, but apostle was a commissioned one. He's one that bears the authority of Christ. And so Paul doesn't come in with this heavy-handed authority, does he? No, he lowers himself. He doesn't lay down the apostle card and say, I'm gonna demand action from this place of authority. No, look what he does. Jump down to verses eight and nine. Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. So this is the apostolic authority that Paul carries. But he goes on, he says, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. And then he says this, check check this out, church. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So just for a, a little bit more context, 
this is unthinkable in the framework that exists for Paul. You do not lower yourself to make an appeal to somebody who is like a householder like Philemon. You just simply do not do this. Why in the world, if Paul is going to make an appeal, make a request, would he do this? Well, it's because Paul sees a different way forward. He doesn't see outrage. He doesn't see passivity. He doesn't see aggression and authority. He sees a different way forward. And from what we can piece together from what's in the letter in, in, in the letter of Colossians and some of the other information in Acts, etc., um, is that Philemon was a householder, which means that Philemon is basically this noble person, a well-to-do Roman citizen living in this city of Colossae, which is not too far from the epicenter of Ephesus, which is where Paul is most likely writing this letter from. And in that, in that time, it, it's, uh, we don't really know, but it seems as though... Um, a, Ephesus is this, like the city where people would come for commerce. And so maybe on a business trip, Philemon hears Paul's teaching and then um, gives his allegiance, his heart to Jesus, and he goes back to his city. And now back in his city, one of Paul's coworkers, Epaphras, he's going to go there and he's going to like um, ignite the flame of the Jesus movement there. And then this Jesus movement is like Philemon's down with Jesus. So then they like get their crew together and they start gathering together in Colossae. And Philemon becomes a leader at the church of Colossae and the church even meets in his house. And now like all Roman patriarchs of, of Paul's day, Philemon owned slaves. And don't, uh, don't immediately think transcontinental slave trade. I mean, I know um, that it's like, this is, this is like our hard, hard and fast track to go there. But um, remember our rock is up here. So just keep it there for a moment. Um, See, Philemon owned slaves, and one of those slaves was named Onesimus. Slaves would often get named, his, his name means useful, if you look at the little footnote in your Bible. So they would get um, like names like handy or useful or something. So uh, there's a little wordplay going on. I'm, I'm serious. This is just, right, it's in the Bible. The Bible's awesome. Um, so it seems as though they had this falling out, and we don't know what happened. Did he steal something? Did he run away? What was the deal? We, we just don't know. Uh, but what we do see is that, Philemon, is that Onesimus ends up making his way to Paul. And just as Philemon made his way to Paul and gave his allegiance to Jesus, so too Onesimus now has given his allegiance to Jesus. And Paul even calls him his beloved assistant. So with this posture of humility, Paul, he starts praising God, thanking God for Philemon's partnership in love and in faith. And he's also, he's also doing this while he has his beloved assistant in mind. See, Paul is saying that faithfulness to Jesus means that recognizing that all of Jesus's followers are equal partners who share together in God's gift of love and faith and grace. Everyone, whether you're a householder or a slave, for Paul, this partnership was not just an idea. It's not just a, a theory. It, it starts there, certainly, but it's something that makes its way into his heart, into his hands. And, and just as though he like starts to do the scandalous thing of lowering himself in his letter, um, he, can, he continues even further. And this is, a, uh, this is a hard thing for us to get our minds around that we would actually uh, not just come to a place on a Sunday and hear some nice things about Jesus and then leave, that Jesus would actually have an affect in our entirety of our lives. If this is blowing your mind right now, 
welcome to the club, that Jesus actually wants more than just like some spiritual encounter. He wants your full person. And speaking into this, uh, this professor, um, William William, and he says this, the most eloquent testimony to the reality of the resurrection is the resurrection of Jesus is not an empty tomb or a well-equestrated pageant, but rather a group of people, perhaps a group of people like this, whose life together is so radically different, so completely changed from the way the world builds a community, that there can be no explanation other than that something decisive has happened in history. This is what Paul is moving us towards in Philemon, the decisive reality of Jesus breaking in. And yet you see, as Paul is making his appeal to Philemon, to receive back Onesimus, which is the big request of the whole letter. Philemon has every right under Roman law to do with Onesimus as he pleases. If Onesimus makes it back there, Philemon can put him to death and suffer no consequences. So we have very little framework for how this makes sense in our world. I, I like the only thing that comes to my mind uh, is the, the Rwandan genocide. And in the Rwandan genocide, it, it's... Uh, I mean, this is, this is, this is a long time for, for us, but in, what we see here now is in the wake of this mass genocide, we see people, they have these, these groups that have actually experienced the receiving back. There's a story of a man who came into a village, shot a woman's father and husband and children. And every time she would see him, she would weep. She had hate in her heart. He comes to trust Jesus comes to her, asks for forgiveness, and she receives him in this. This is like, this is the closest thing that I can find, like the radical nature of this reconciliation. This is what Paul is bringing forward. And yet Onesimus, like Philemon could say no, he could put Onesimus to death. And yet nevertheless, Paul has the audacity to ask that he would. And this is what he says in verse 17. He says, if you consider me your partner, it's this Greek word uh, koinonia. It's this, it's this idea of, of, like sometimes you'll see it translated fellowship. It's this idea of sharing together, the sharing together. So if you consider me your partner to share together with me, receive him, Onesimus, as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. See, so for Paul, Jesus is the one He is the one in whom reconciliation lives. He is the place where our sins are not counted against us. And for both Onesimus and for Philemon, for both of them, he says, I will stand in the gap for you. And Paul doesn't do anything. Like he doesn't make a request of Philemon that he himself is not willing to do. And so what, what, what Paul does is he starts to live out the gospel here in this moment. So in the chaos of the fallout between Onesimus and Philemon, Paul, he, he does this thing, not as a demanding authority, but as a humble observant. He says, I'm willing to absorb the offense. Do you, you see that in verse 18? If he owes you anything at all, Charge it to my account. I'll pay the cost so that reconciliation can take place. 
Because for Paul, the foot of the cross is the level ground, which I understand it's a bible way of talking about reconciliation, but it's a powerful way because if the foot of the cross is level, that means any and all who would come to Jesus are welcomed there. Regardless of your socioeconomic status, regardless of your race, your gender, you are welcome at the foot of Jesus. And Paul doesn't wanna just think about that. He wants to live into this. So what he does is he says, if Jesus's arms are spread wide, my arms will be spread wide. This is our move. This is faithful presence. And check this out. This is how Paul says it to another, to, to the actual church that meets in Philemon's house. This is in Colossians 3. Here, that is in Christ, There is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is in all, is all and in all. So what you're going to notice over the next couple weeks is that nowhere in Philemon are we going to read about the cross. Nowhere in Philemon are we going to read about um, the resurrection because what Paul wants to do is more than wax eloquent on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. He wants to embody that. He wants to say, I praise you for your love and faith. Now let me show you what the continuation of that work looks like. If you really are my partner, Philemon, let us continue into this. And so Paul embodies the cross. He makes him, his, himself the place where Philemon and Onesimus are reconciled to God and to one another. This is the, this is the disruptive power of faithful presence. This is how love and faith can find themselves sandwiched amongst racism and hate. And faithful presence is just like it sounds. It is not hiding from our culture, isolating ourselves. It's not trying to conquer our culture in the name of Jesus. Rather, faithful presence is this posture that we maintain to be the redemptive edge, moving the bounds of love and faith deeper and deeper into your little cubicle, deeper and deeper into your classroom, deeper and deeper into your relationships with your roommate, with your wife, with your whomever. It's going deeper and deeper into those areas, not a culture of outrage and passivity, but a culture of faithful presence. And if you haven't pictured this, this is going to be redundant, but it's worth it. If you haven't pictured this yet, Paul is quite literally putting his arm around Onesimus and he's saying, I love you. You are my beloved assistant. You are like my own heart, my son. And he's putting his arm around Philemon, his beloved fellow worker. And in the two, he's just squeezing them in. If you're like Phil, you're just like, don't squeeze me. Don't squeeze. If you're Karen, you're saying, don't squeeze me. But Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You want the squeeze. And so what he's doing is he's bringing them in. He's bringing them into the place of reconciliation. And the thing that I, um, that I love about this is the thing that I hate about this. Um, because all week, I, did, I don't want to preach on reconciliation. Uh, this, part of my story is um, that while I was in seminary, my parents got divorced. And the nature of their divorce was pretty volatile. Um, like I'm, I end up being the one who calls the, the police to mitigate in that s- scenario. And so I find myself shoved in between this chaotic moment. Um, and ever since that, I've been estranged from my dad. Um, and I have no 
flipping clue what reconciliation looks like with that man. I just don't, I don't want, I, don't, I actually don't want it, but I want it. And so I, uh, I was like listening to this um, sermon on forgiveness and it was terrible because it like hurt my heart. Um, and they say, well, here's, here's like, a, like write a letter. So I'm like, okay, I can write a letter. And I get like a paragraph in and I'm just like a sobbing, weeping mess. Because what I realize is, is that what I do with my life, what, from the small micro decisions to these macro things, these movements, they're actually telling this story of God being at work in my life. And so I don't know if I can actually ask anything of you if I'm not willing to enter into it myself. I might write a letter to my dad. I probably won't this week. <laughs> but this is the place where we live. This is the place of reconciliation. This is why we're, we're sitting with and in Philemon. This is why we're here. Because how in the world can we go to Advent to prepare our hearts for the coming of King Jesus if we're not willing to actually enter into the ministry of reconciliation? So we have a choice, a choice here. Um, do you remember that rock? That pesky old rock? Um, you, this is your choice. You can choose to pick it back up. That's, that's entirely up to you. And you can choose to sling that rock at your enemies. You can knock them down. Or today, as we prepare ourselves to come to the bread and the cup, you can say that no longer will I pick up my rock, but I will pick up the remembrance of Jesus because Jesus is the place he is the one who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We can actually take into ourselves the place where reconciliation happens. And I'm not saying that to take the communion is to take in your salvation, but you can remember this reality. And so I just want to invite those who are serving communion to come up because this, the, today could be the day. It, the next two weeks are going to be useless if today we can't actually make sense of this reconciliation. Doesn't mean that we actually deal with the realities of forgiveness today, but if today cannot be the start of that, then what do we have, church? Like if we can't actually embody this, what do we have? Seriously, what do we have? We have nothing. And so my invitation to us this morning is to actually do the work if, it, if it's just in your mind, do the work there. If it's in your heart, do the work there. If it's in your hands, if it's within your grasp to actually start that conversation, to put, to spill some ink to paper, do that today. This has been another episode of the Gateway Church Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.